Hello and welcome. My name is Mike. I'm speaking to you from Minehead, even though I'm from Watcher Baptist Church. I've just come along the coast a little way to record this teaching. We're beginning a new sequence, looking at one Peter. So, my name is Mike. I'm Mike Sherbin. I'm the pastor of Watcher Baptist Church. Uh, this is going to take uh, a few sessions, probably eight or nine, uh, and we're going to be looking at what the whole of the letter that Peter writes has to say to his audience. Before we go any further, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we don't just want to listen, we want to hear. Please help us not to be satisfied with listening, but instead to tune in, go deeper, and allow the richness of what you have shared by your Spirit with us to actually affect who we are. Amen. Right, we're going to begin just with the first two verses of 1 Peter, and they go like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So we're going to be launching into this sequence. 1 Peter is, uh, has an interesting sort of numbers thing going on in it. It's nothing complicated, it's just there are a hundred verses of it if you leave out the introduction and the conclusion. Uh, and I quite like that kind of rounded number thing, so hundred verses has quite inspired me. We're going to begin just by looking at these two verses and we're going to consider what they tell us about who, where, and why we are. And that's why the title of this first session is Who, Where, and Why Are You? I wonder if any of you have ever come across a colour run. I suspect some of you have. On a colour run, it's very important to wear probably a white t-shirt, definitely a plain one. And as you run, usually a fairly short course, people spray usually powdered paint into the course as you run it, so that when you finish the course, you are covered in colour. Actually, you're covered in colour by the time you're about halfway around, but you come away with this amazingly colourful um, look all over your hair and face, and particularly over your clothes. It's quite a striking thing. I think that life is quite a lot like a colour run. As we go through life, various things get thrown at us or we encounter them as we go. And they make us look different. Maybe they make us look a bit blue, or a bit yellow, or a bit red, or actually just a mass of different colours. It's quite striking, I think, when you see colour run runners running. They usually look pretty excited about the experience, as do those who are cheering on from the sidelines, because it's such a dynamic thing to be part of. It is very exciting and very colourful. And in that way, it is very much like what life is like. Perhaps the things that you feel have been thrown in your path as you've run your life journey, maybe you feel a lot of them have been a bit one colourish and not a happy colour. Maybe an awful lot of black has been in your path. But maybe it varies. Perhaps there are some 
phases in your life when you think it was all yellows and reds and greens and blues and bright and bold and exciting. I think one of the things that Peter wants us to get hold of as he begins this letter is this idea of being scattered and being exiled. Now, it's important to remember a couple of things about who Peter is writing to. He's writing to people in these particular provinces. They are Roman provinces and they are in uh, what then was called Asia Minor, or Western Turkey now that we would think of it as being. And not all of them have ended up there because they've been pushed out of other places. Some of them are in their home environment. And yet he calls them exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And I think it's important to be aware of what he's getting at when he says that. The colour run can leave you looking very different. But in actual fact, on the inside, you remain the same. You're not a different person at the end of a colour run than you were at the beginning, even though you've been through an awful lot of things and you might look very different from how you did at the start. What matters is who you are in the colour run. And what Peter is saying is that what matters isn't anything other than who God has chosen you to be. So exiles scattered throughout the provinces, and he lists some provinces, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Notice that he's uh, in a very short space of time referred to Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Peter would have been one of those uh, who heard Jesus talking about baptising people in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit at the end of Matthew 28. So it's going to be important to him that he refers to all the different parts of who God is. And Peter wants them to know that he knows where they are, but he also knows who they are. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces, chosen by the Father through the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus. We are, Peter is saying, exiles. Actually, it's important that we recognise what we're doing just right then. We're taking something that was written for somebody else and we're applying it to ourselves, and that's appropriate for us to do. Paul writes in the New Testament that all scripture, all of the writings that are given to us from God, uh, is given by God and is useful in various different ways. It's important to recognise that those letters that are included in the Bible are given to us by God, so they have something to say to us. And the way Peter addressed these uh, exiles scattered throughout the provinces has something to say to how we understand ourselves to be. Otherwise, what is the point in us reading something that was originally written to people hundreds of years ago and thousands of miles away? We are outsiders, exiles, or maybe resident foreigners would be a good way of putting it. God's point of view on us is that he knows where we are, who we are, and how we came to be those people. So Peter addresses them in a way that makes sense because he recognises who they are and he thinks it's important that they recognise that too. To give you an example of how that might work, 
Uh, when I get a letter, let's come through my letterbox at home, sometimes it says Mr. Michael Sherburn, because I'm Michael in my full name, Michael James, for those who like to collect middle names. There you go, you got mine. Uh, sometimes it'll be just addressed to Mike, so there won't be a, a Mr. or anything. Sometimes it's Reverend. Sometimes it's Reverend and Mrs. because it's referring to both of us. But it could just as easily be referred, be addressed to husband Mike or uh, maybe failed historian Mike. I failed my A-level history, not proud of it, but that's what happened. It could be referring to, addressed to mountain conqueror Mike or Mike the dad or Mike the husband. All of these things tell me something about who I am. And because they're written in an address, they remind me of where I am too. Now, all those different descriptions, graduate Mike, ordained Mike, lots of different things that could be said. All those descriptions tell me something and other people something about what I've done, how I've got to be where I am. For Peter, knowing who you are and how you're addressed carries a special significance because Jesus referred to him as rock. Cephas is the word that we see used in the New Testament. Cephas means rock. And he knows that he was very brittle and unrock-like towards the end of Jesus' life in the run-up to his crucifixion, as Peter denied knowing who Jesus was. And then he was reconciled to Jesus later on a beach at breakfast time. And he recognised that rock was something that said something important about what his role was, who Jesus saw him to be, and who Jesus had called him to be. I suspect probably he could have called himself hill climbing Simon, which is the name he was given before Jesus said, I tell you what, let's call you Peter. Hill climbing Simon, or son-in-law Simon, or fisherman Simon. Identity has a lot to do with how people see you, but more importantly, how you see yourself, and even more importantly, how God sees you. Psalm 139 gives us this wonderful sense of God knowing who we are right before we even knew who we were, or that we existed. He knew us in the womb, and he watches our every step and knows who we are inside out. So Peter, in writing to his audience, these disciples in Pontus and Galatia and Bithynia and other places, wants them to know that he sees where they are and he sees who they are. And he gives them uh, kind of a, a way of placing themselves as he talks this through. Now, I don't know if you're into this kind of thing. Uh, but um, there are some geographers in my family and they really like trig points. Trig points are those um, sort of concrete posts you see on top of some hills. They're usually the highest point for some distance around. And the idea is that from each trig point, you can see three other trig points on a clear day. Lots of them are on hills. So often when you get there, it's not a clear day. But if it was, then you could. And it was with the help of those trig points that Ordnance Survey mapping in the UK was developed. With the help of those trick points, you could accurately identify where you are to the nearest quarter of an inch, which if you want to know that in centimetres, I can't help you. So he gives, Peter gives his readers a kind of 
trig point way of locating themselves. He says that those original uh, readers and listeners to his letter are citizens of heaven living on earth. God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. The citizens of heaven living on earth, and that's why he says they're exiles and scattered. And that combines where they are and what they are. So he's using this kind of triangulation technique. You know, you, you know what you are, that's there. You know where you are, and maybe you know who you are. And you put those three things together and you can identify what you're doing. And he reinforces this by saying grace and peace in abundance. So grace uh, in Greek is charis, and there was a normal greeting in that culture that was kare, which kind of means something similar to cheers, I suppose. And, and it's taking something from culture and adapting it to echo something of God. So you'd expect a letter to say kare at the beginning, it said charis instead. Uh, so it's kind of like a little bit of a pun that Peter's introducing here. So he says grace and peace to them. Not his grace, but the grace of Jesus. So that triangulation is helping them identify who and what and where they are. And it's reminding them that Peter knows those things. And actually, so does God know. God, this Father, Son and Holy Spirit combined. No. So that grace and peace, we've already said because these letters were written hundreds of years ago to people thousands of miles away, it doesn't mean they don't have anything to say to us. They do. God has given them to us to use in that way. So grace and peace comes to us too. God used Peter. This is important as we understand how the Bible works. God used Peter, his words, his, his ability to do puns, um, his experience, his understanding, his writing style. He did all those things and wove them in with the Spirit's message. To create this letter. So the spirit's behind it. Peter acknowledges this. And it's God's message. Peter acknowledges this. And so although we don't live in first century Western Turkey, because we are God's people, we listen to our spiritual ancestors who've walked this discipleship road before us, and we recognize that Peter has something to say to us as well. So I want you to take away uh, maybe three things. Um, no, let's, let's do, let's just, let's run some things, maybe five. We'll, we'll see how it goes, but we'll keep them brief. Number one, first, we need to be confident of our identity. Peter wants his audience to recognise this, so we can take it on too. We are gods, not in terms of property, but in terms of family. Many people, family is everything. You see greetings cards that give an overtone of that all the time. And for Peter, he sees that God has a similar perspective. Family is really important. He wants his family to be as big as possible, to bring as many people in as possible. And all of all of those he's created can choose to respond to Jesus and be part of that family. It's a family that's global as well, not just English speaking, not just English, definitely not just Somerset. It's a global family of those who know and trust Jesus. Secondly, we need to be honest about our geography. Peter uh, almost certainly wasn't writing from the area that he was writing to. So he knew that letter was traveling to a place, a particular place with particular people in it. We are where we are in the world. 
Peter is saying to these disciples, you are where you are. Let's list those places. So we might take that on and say, well, we are in, in my case right now, Minehead. But we might say, watch it, or Williston, or West Quantock's Head, or Sanford Brett, or um, I don't know, where, where else have I lived? Norwich, or, or Northwest Kent, um, or South Wales, where I love to, to go on holiday. All kinds of places we might be. Knowing where you are is part of it. God knows where we are, and he also knows that being in real places comes with real responsibilities and real challenges as well. Real people living in a real world have real issues to face. We are those real people, and we're also moving around real people too. Exiles, foreigners, strangers, whatever you want to call them, God has put them and us where we are. So we need to be honest about our geography. Thirdly, we need to be certain of our status. We are holy and distinctive and obedient, and we are saints. I'm drawing on some of what Paul says to describe how we are in relationship with God here, but it's all good, it's all true. We are those things, and Jesus, by his real life and real death, announced that God was real. That realness is essential for us as we identify and recognise and be certain of who we are. Jesus was arrested and beaten and tortured, was made in his weakness to drag his own cross up a hill to the point where he couldn't carry it anymore and somebody else had to. And then his life was given and sacrificed himself. He knew in advance that he would need to do this. And he did all that out of love and so that we could be in that family, be joined into that family, absorbed into that family with Jesus. And now we are asked to live the way that Jesus calls us to. Jesus asks us to live in particular ways. There's evidence of that throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke and John. Doing that means living with the Holy Spirit's help. And we can be certain that we don't face any of this alone in the place that we are with being the people that we are because the Holy Spirit's provided to us. Jesus promises us that. We are distinctive, so we stand out in the world because people who live the way Jesus asks do tend to stand out when they live that way. We're supposed to be distinctive, so it's okay. Fourthly, Peter calls them disciples. Now, he doesn't use that term, but he refers to them as baptised because they are those who are in the church and as those who are learning to be obedient to Jesus. And as well as these things, he explains the significance of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that ties up with how Jesus talks at the end of Matthew. I've referred to that already, but I think it's important. Peter would have been there for that moment when Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So as soon as he's talking about being called, being chosen, being uh, those who are seeking to be obedient, all those things tie up with that call that Jesus made to his disciples at the end of Matthew. Fifthly and finally, if this letter is for those then, it is for us now too, because we are defined as being those chosen by the Father. We're not chosen because of our life experience. We're not chosen because of how others see us. 
in, um, I think it's 1 Samuel, there comes a point when uh, Samuel the prophet goes to anoint the next king of Israel. And God has to remind him not to look just at the outward appearance, but look what's happening in the heart. And we go back to our, our idea of the colour run. We're not looking at those who perhaps look the most colourful because of what their life has thrown at them. We're not looking for those who perhaps look the most bright or dark. We're not looking for those who have the most or least colour because they've hit loads of things or avoided loads of things. We're only looking for the thing that matters, which is what God sees. In 1 Samuel, God said to Samuel, man looks on the outside, but I look at the heart. And when Peter starts this letter, just in these first two verses, he's talking about those who are chosen by God the Father, who are sanctified by the Spirit, who are living to be obedient to Jesus. That's who we are called to be. That's who Peter is writing to, those who want to live that way. Peter writes to the churches and says, I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what you are. And this letter is for you. And now, all these hundreds of years later, God says to us, I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what you are. You are chosen by me. And this letter is for you. I'm just going to finish by saying this. In the middle of those two verses, as, as we wrestle with what they say and, and try to drink in what it means for us, I think it's important that we take comfort from it. And I think this is what Peter was trying to do too, that we take some comfort from the idea that God does know who we are in our heart. And he knows where we are and the people, the real life people who are around us. And knowing all that, God still, by his spirit, calls us and equips us and asks us to walk through life the way Jesus calls us to. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you know who we are. That you know all of our backstory, even the bits that we don't like to share. And you know where we are. And we ask that you would comfort us as we look honestly at ourselves. And that you would help us to be ready to hear from you as you look to call us on to the next thing. And we thank you that no matter how we feel about all this, that you are never stepping away and that you will take us by the hand if we let you and take us on from here. Amen. Okay, here's our three questions for this session. Number one, how do you feel about where you are? Maybe that's location, maybe it's life situation. How do you feel about where you are? Question two. Peter describes his audience, the people he's writing to, as those who are obedient to Jesus Christ. Do you count yourself as someone who is obedient to Jesus Christ? What difference does it make to be obedient to Jesus Christ? Question three, do you ever feel that you are defined by what's happened to you, by the colours that have hit you as you've gone through life? I encourage you to turn to God 
uh, just in a moment of quiet, maybe right now, and say to God, help me see myself the way you see me. Well, thank you for spending the time with us. I really urge you to take the time to read this letter all the way through. There are five chapters, but they're not long chapters. It won't take a very long time to read. Uh, I just encourage you to, to do that, to engage with this, so that as we go through it, things are a little bit familiar as we go along. Take care and God bless.